0: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up to John chapter 6. I've selected the theme Becoming a Leader Like Jesus. Probably because it was laid much on my heart. There are a lot of times we'll study the life of Christ and see him as the Messiah or the Lord or a teacher or a servant. But I'm surprised how few messages are out there. I'm looking at the life of Christ and seeing how he is an influencer, a leader of other people. Now you can go into his life and you can read his teachings and that would be the substance and that would be doctrine and the principles by which we live. But if you followed him around and you watched how he worked the crowd and how he worked the people that were with him, you're going to see the consummate leader of all leaders because he is Lord leader. And so what we're doing is we're not only looking at what Jesus Christ said as far as a principle. We're looking at what he was saying, when he was saying, how he was saying it, and to whom he was saying it as a leader. Now some of you out there might be saying, but I'm not the chairman of this, and I'm not the boss of that, and I'm not in a managerial position. Anytime you come around other people, you then will influence them. So you can be a leader just by your lifestyle. And that's why we say that being a leader, you can be a good leader or a mediocre leader or a poor leader. It depends on how purposely you live your life. And now, here in our fellowship, we're learning to live our life in a way that will bring glory and honor to the Lord. And to do that, it's to come alongside other people and to add value to their lives. So you're becoming a leader, whether you have a formal title or not. So you become an influencer. Well, we're going to go through this story that I titled The Loaves on Leadership. I think most of you have been around the Bible long enough to know the stories where Jesus Christ took the loaves and the fishes and he multiplied them, and we refer to that as the feeding of the 5,000, so you know that story. But we're going to pick it apart from a little bit different perspective because I want to show you what he was doing around his disciples to teach them leadership principles because of the places that you might be as well. So while we study this, it's not just the wow factor of feeding 5,000 people. And by the way, it is a big wow factor. When was the last time you saw someone take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people? It just doesn't happen. But as important as that is, there's tremendous leadership lessons that are in all of this. And that's what we want to glean from them. In fact, there's so many of them, it would take me many weeks just on this one miracle that Jesus did to learn all the leadership lessons. But I could extrapolate three that I believe can impact your life today. I prayed through this and I have so much confidence in the sovereignty of God that he brought you here because he knows you need what you're gonna hear today because of something that you're going through right now. Now when you read through the story, it's gonna talk about how that Jesus fed 5,000 men. Now, I don't believe this was the very first Promise Keepers event where there was only men at this, all right? I believe that there was probably ladies there. And if we could throw in a few kids, and of course the Jewish families were really knowing to have many children, so maybe we could go 5,000, wives another 5,000, throw in another keiki, another 5,000, so we're at 5, 10, 15. Some commentators say that you wouldn't be too off base if you're looking at Jesus Christ taking five loaves, two fishes, and feeding 20,000 people. Well, I know this. I maybe can't come up with the exact number of 20,000, but I can die on the hill to say there were at least 5,000 men that were present. And that in itself would still make it a humongous mission, um, uh, um, principle, miracle. Now, I want to take you back to that time because this is not a story, it's not a parable, it's something that really happened. There were 5,000 living and breathing, rough and tough, hard to diaper guys out there that were now listening to Christ, and there were 12 others that were following Christ, watching what was going on throughout, throughout this particular event. Now, while he was doing this, you have to understand that Jesus was a visionary. He's speaking all day, at the end of the day now, he knows that the people are getting hungry and he's got to feed all of them. But I can only imagine what the little uh, conversations were with the disciples that were nearby. They're probably looking at their, um, I don't know if they had a sundial watch or what, like the Flintstones, but whatever watch they might have had, they might have been thinking, you know, Jesus is really talking a long time, kind of like the pastor. He's talking a long time and is going late in the day. And, and these folks here, I didn't see anybody bring a lunchbox. There's no golden arches out there. And I don't see a Starbucks on the corner. What are these guys going to eat out there? What's going to happen? Have you ever worked for a visionary? Guys that sometimes can see way into the distance and they see what they want to get across. And here we are, Jesus teaching great truths to these people. And yet sometimes visionaries often uh, forget the details because they want to get to the bigger picture and they forget about those little needs that people have. Well, you know right away that Jesus never forgot about those little needs. I am firmly convinced that Jesus Christ knew that 5,000 plus people would come. He knew how long he would speak. He knew they would come without food and he was setting them all up for something big that was going to happen so 12 guys would get a leadership principle to see what they're going to be able to face and know that Jesus Christ is going to be there with them. So maybe you face the same thing. How are you going to figure out all these details? Well, if you follow a visionary like that, I want you to know that God is still on the throne and God will still take care of the details in His time. So this is a tremendous lesson on more than just feeding 5,000 people plus. So we're going to look at three lessons. I'm going to use a little object lesson so that when you see these, you might remember this message. The first one is the lesson of the yardstick. And so I went into my closet and I have this yardstick. And this yardstick is so old, it's coming from Atlas Building Materials Home Improvement Center. Alright, maybe you remember that. I wasn't even on the island. Maybe I wasn't even born then. I don't know. But I have a yardstick here. So when you see this yardstick, as I have it set up here by our beautiful Koa communion table, I'm going to talk about that yardstick. Because there's a lesson in that that Jesus Christ was teaching when he was feeding the 5,000. And that is this. Do not measure your problem or your challenge according to your own abilities. Now think about that for a moment. Usually when we're facing a challenge or a particular problem, we look at that and it can become very overwhelming. And the first thing we do is we say the problem is way over here. We're way over here. We look at ourselves and we say there's no way I can meet that challenge head on. It's so far in the distance. It's so big and I'm so uh, insecure, insignificant, inadequate to do that. And so what do we do? We do the exact same thing these guys did. They panicked over this event. And that's what was happening at that time. And what Jesus wants to now teach us is like that yardstick, you go from here to there, and that great distance right there, the Lord is going to try to bring together and to show us how that he's very much a part of this. So they panicked. If you will, look at John chapter 6, verse 7, and here's what you read. Philip replied, and it said, it would take a small fortune to feed all these people. Now think about it yourself, maybe you have a problem that you're looking at, maybe that you need a car, maybe some of you need a larger home, maybe there's an issue you're going through right now and you're thinking it's going to take a fortune to get there, to get this, to have that done. I'm thinking about some of you that got kids that are going to college and you're hoping that they'll get a scholarship, they'll have enough money to sustain them while they're in university. And you're thinking that's such a big problem, and it is, and we're going to learn more about that in a moment. But I want you to know you don't need to panic. You might have the same response in your heart like Philip did. I'd take a fortune to feed these things. But here's something you need to keep in mind, and that is this. No matter what your challenge or how big your problem is, Jesus delights in impossibilities. Somewhere in your margin, you want to write that down. Jesus delights in impossibilities. He delights in those problems. First of all, the problems that you have, and I'm not talking so much about the ones you bring on yourself because of wrong choices that you made, but different issues that you might have. I want you to know he delights in them because it's in those situations that he can show himself strong and it can be drawing you and me closer to him when those problems really occur. So it doesn't have to be something. As I look through scripture in the life of Christ, these impossible situations. Do you remember the woman who was sick for 12 years? That's an impossible situation. The Bible says doctors couldn't heal her. Another one, sick for 38 years. There was a man that was dead for four days. That's an impossible situation. And Jesus took that. Now let me calm down here for a moment let you know you may have a loved one that's dead and you may go out to the cemetery. I can't promise you that Jesus is going to raise the body of that dead person. But if that person has trusted Christ as their Savior, that's no longer an impossible situation. That's just a timing issue. That means if you trusted Christ, they trusted Christ, you are going to get together in the future. But whatever your problem is, the Lord said, I'm doing these things to show you there is no problem too big that I can't resolve. Stay with me. Out of all the problems that there were, the greatest problem was the sin of the world from the beginning of time. That's a big problem. And no man can do anything about that sin issue. And Jesus says, I can take care of that for you too. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So he delights in impossible situations. Now, why does he do that? Why does he delight in those things? I believe because he's going to test you. Now, your possible situation could be with your family. It could be with a personal life issue. It could be something on your job, business, some of you kids at school, a situation maybe some of you as a leader that you're having to confront a staff person or maybe someone who's above you. And so it looks like an impossible situation. The Lord is allowing that impossible situation to come into your life just like he did with Philip. He did it so he could test him. Go back to the beginning of that verse and let me read it to you in verses 5 and 6 and here's what you read. It says... Jesus soon saw a great crowd of people climbing the hill looking for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Philip, where can we buy bread and feed all these people? Then he says this, He was testing Philip, for he, the Lord, already knew what he was going to do. Take your pen and circle the word testing. So again, when the Lord puts a situation in front of you that's an impossible situation, only he could resolve, it's not about him, it's about us. In this sense, he's testing us. Now, some of you, when you hear the word test, you go into a panic mode because you think test is something that you pass or fail. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The Lord doesn't put a test in our life so he will grade us. Because if he did that, we'd all fail. He puts a test in our life so it would grow us. So he didn't put the test in our life to grade us. He put the test in our life so that we would grow. So the question now is, what test are you going through right now? Finances, fitness, family, friends, foes, whatever it might be. And he's testing you right now. Today is your carpe diem, opportunity to seize the moment from this passage right here. So he provides us with a test. Well, how does he do that? If you will, look at your outline, and you're going to follow three things here. First of all, he puts an impossible situation in front of us to stretch our undeveloped faith. In other words, when you go through this situation, you go into the Word and you see, how do I biblically respond to this? What am I going to grow out of this thing? What am I going to learn out of this thing? And we are now learning to stretch our faith, we're going to grow. Let me ask you a personal question. Can I do that for a moment? I'm looking at a crowd of many seasoned, mature Christians. Can you go down memory lane and can you remember an impossible situation that there's nothing that you humanly could do to resolve that impossible situation? But then somehow God stepped in in his way, miraculously, he resolved that issue. And now you look back and your faith is stronger because now you know what he did for you in the past, you know that he can do that in the present. If you see that as a sense of your own faith growing, would you say, amen? Amen. All right, now that was loud and I appreciate that. Now I want you to build on that, amen. I don't know what you're facing in the future. But you can use the lesson you learned about your faith-stretching experience to get you to that future issue that you're going to have. And I believe in God's timing, done God's way for God's glory, your faith is going to grow. And all that's doing is expanding your ability to influence or lead other people. Your leadership skills are growing because of that. So look at this as a way to say thank you, Lord, for this faith-stretching experience. The second is this. God also puts an incredible situation in front of us that's so impossible we can't resolve it to strengthen our eternal hope. Sometimes when we go through a problem and after we've wrestled with it for a while, we finally step back from that problem when we come up for error and we finally realize, you know what? Even if we can't resolve this problem, that's okay. We will live through it. And even if it's so bad that it might take our life because it's a health issue, it doesn't really matter because as a believer, I still have heaven to go through. Go to. And that's the glory of it all. So sometimes the problem is to let you know that there still is going to be a better life later on, the hope that's there. Now, if you don't mind, I know this is a timed message, but I want to say this. We're talking a lot about Resurrection Sunday here. We, we call it Easter Resurrection Sunday. We talked about where we're going to meet, what time we're going to meet, how we're going to feed people, all of that stuff. And so it's all kind of wrapped around events and details, which is important. Because if you don't have that, I mean, it's like not having a target and throwing a dart at it. But I want to say this. That Sunday, I prayed a great deal. I've asked God to say, Lord, lay upon my heart. There's so many messages on Easter and scripture. There's so much truth. These dear people are going through so many things in their life. I don't have a crystal ball, Lord. I don't know what they're going to have in the future. I know their friends are struggling. Some of you in the military are going crazy right now. First, there's going to be a government shutdown. Then there's not. Maybe there still will be. We don't know what's going on in Japan. I want to give a message called Hope at Easter. If you know anyone that right now is fragile, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, I want them to know that there really is hope at Easter. And this is the easiest time to bring someone to church to hear that message. So whatever struggle you're going through, it too is going to help you strengthen your hope. And then number three, God puts us into a possible situation to show His incredible love to us. Now I know it's really hard because when you're going through this problem, the real question is, is does God really love me? And remember, Satan is the dirty bird out there, and he's the one that's kind of whispering, saying, God has abandoned you. You're in this by yourself now. If he really loved you, you wouldn't have had to have this problem. It could have been solved. If God is really that sovereign, you wouldn't have been there where you are now. And Satan is whispering those things. And it's at those times that you have to rely upon the scripture that says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, which doesn't mean spanks and punishes. It means he lovingly trains you. So he's stretching you. He's adding value to your life because he says, there's more for you to do out there. I've got a greater future for you on earth yet. And I love you through these times. In fact, when you have that difficult situation, use it as a time to remind you of how much he really does love you. So here's what I'd like to give you as your homework assignment. You know how that sometimes you have a list that you do? I know Carol gives these to me. Most guys get these from their wives. They're called a honey-do list. How many know what a honey-do list is? All right, all right. Some of you had long honey-do lists and I appreciate the honey-do list. I like the honey, you don't have to do that list. But I've never seen one of those lists, all right? But I'm going to give you one, okay? Instead of what you can do, I want you to put a list together of what you can't do. I want you to look at your life right now and the struggles that you're facing, issues that you're dealing with, what you cannot do. I want you to put that list together. Then what I'd like you to do is you look at that list of what you can't do. Then what you're going to say is, Lord, I can't, but you can, therefore I will. Did you catch that? I can't, you can, therefore I will. So now as you look at this yardstick right here and you see I'm here, this challenge is way out here. I could never meet the challenge and it may not be a problem. Some of you might be asked to serve on a committee. Some of you might have a great promotion waiting for you right now and you're going to turn it down. You don't want to stretch yourself because you see it's so far out there you can't do it. So instead of measuring it by where you are and where that issue is out here, I want you to look at that and say, between here and there, it's all God. That without Him, I can do this. Because even those people that had that hunger problem, Jesus said, I took care of that for them. And He did it as a model for you. So no matter how many issues that are out there that you'll face, that little line between you and that problem is filled full with a very loving Hope-giving, faith-stretching, Lord, in your life. And that's the joy that we have. And I hope that you'll have that intimate walk with God because that's where leadership, it's all about. Now, some of you might be saying, I don't know what I can't do. What, What are some issues I might not be able to do? Let me give you just two. Two that I think people struggle with the most. Number one is, I can't get someone I love to change their mind so that their life would change. I can't do that and so I tried I have tried to manipulate I tried to intimidate I've even tried to spiritually motivate and none of that has worked that's okay what you do is you take that as if there's five thousand people that are starving and you give them to the Lord right now and walk away privately get on your knees and give it to the Lord here's the second one the second area is not so much maybe a relational issue but it could be this some of you are struggling with your past and you look over issues in your past, decisions that you made with the best of intentions, you know, no guilt trip there, but at the same time, now that you have more knowledge and more walk with God, you see, I blew it. I should have done that, not that, blah, 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 blah. So here it is. You cannot rewrite your past. And so some of you, because you look at your past and you feel like I cannot rewrite it, so that means my future is likely to have the same problems in it as my past. And so now you get paralyzed and you don't grow. In a sense, you will spiritually starve to death. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll spiritually starve to death because the Lord says, that's okay. I can take your future, make it great. I can restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten. Yeah, there's certain things you might not be able to do, But that doesn't mean there are not a thousand other doors that I can have you walk through. That you are more than usable now because of that. So you go back to that and you celebrate it. So just remember that the Lord really loves you. And I'd like to speak to a special group of people that are here. And you'll know who you are. It's those of you that when you face a problem, you try to resolve that problem and get to the solution of that problem logically. Now, it's okay to think it through and try to plan it all out, make sure all the dots are connected and everything, you know, adds up. But I have to tell you that sometimes faith is not going to allow you to always have all the dots connected before you walk and get out of the boat. Those of you that don't follow logic and you watch God take care of you, say amen. Alright, so use the logic. I love this little story. I just read it this last week. I thought this is good for this. A teacher... Had a group of engineering students, and the teacher gave him an assignment. He said, "I want you to take a three-pound roast and figure out how long it's going to cook so that you can have the center of that heated long enough so you could eat that roast." So these engineering students, as in, I'm not saying it against you engineers, okay, just relax. You're on my team. Glad you build buildings and bridges and all that. So they get back. So one guy he does all of his scientific computations. He tries to figure out through physics the the the, 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 the the I don't know, the consistency of the of the meat. Another one decides to get a thermometer, he goes ahead and gets an oven, he buys a certain cut of meat, and now he puts it all together trying to and all the guys are doing it differently. Then one kid decided he's just gonna pick up the phone. So he picked up the phone and he called his mom and said how do you cook a roast? And so mom said, Do 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 and it was all done in a matter of moments. Now I'm saying all that to say this. It's, it is good to go through all the facts and the figures at times But sometimes it just comes down to, Lord, even if I make the wrong decision, I've done everything I could. I've asked all the advice from everybody. I've gone to the book. I've gone to my counselors. But Lord, I'm going to step out on faith. And even then, your grace, your mercy, because that's who you are. And I know you, Lord, those of you that have an intimate walk with God, you will still help me. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord sits back and he smiles. He likes those times that there's an abandonment of faith totally in him. And I just want to encourage you with it. So don't fret, and worry, remember the yardstick, don't count on yourself and our weaknesses and our frailties, and don't look at the problem that is so far out in the distance, you realize how close you are when you're there with Jesus. Let's go to the second lesson, I call this the lesson of the scales. <clears throat> Now, this is the best scale I could bring to you. It's not the real one I wanted. Those of you that are listening on uh, the the internet right now, you can't see this, but I got a really nice, fancy-schmancy scale here. This has come from Stanley Ho. He has given this to the church here for us to use. I don't know exactly how I'm going to use it. I don't think we're going to weigh our babies on it. And I don't know if it's a postage one, but you can see it kind of as a neat little scale right here. Now, the reason I did that, because there's a truth behind this as well. Another leadership principle that the Lord taught in the feeding of the five thousand and that is this little is much when Jesus is in it little is much when Jesus is in it just remember in the hands of the Lord whatever you have you take that little bit whatever you have and with a spirit of faith and trust and perhaps a good healthy dose of awe in God he's gonna take that and he's gonna make it work no matter what you're going through right now, I like that. You had Philip and you had Andrew. Let me read to you John chapter six, verse eight and nine. Here it says, "Then Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, there's a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. Well, what good is that with such a a crowd? You have two figures in this. You have Philip and you have Andrew. Philip was told by the Lord." We've got to go feed these people. Andrew was different. He was now told something to do on, on how to do it. Both of them had a problem. Now stay with me on this. One looked at it and saying that God was... The problem was so big, I can't reach it. The other one was saying, but there's so little. There's just this little boy here with a couple of loaves here. Now I thought this would be really neat. Andrew would be a real hero of the faith if he stopped at a certain part of this story. But Andrew was so much like us that the Lord had it recorded so we could see ourselves in this story. Go back to the passage and you're going to see right where it is. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, period. Stop, look up here. That's when it would have been great. Lord, that's okay. 5,000 people, 10,000, 15, doesn't really matter. We've got a little boy here and he's got a little lunch bag. In his bag, he's got five loaves and two fishes. And you know what? The Lord would say, Andrew, you got the message. But Andrew did just what I would do. (laughs) Yeah, but that's just not enough. I don't know why I struggle with my cup being half empty. Some of you think that man, pastor's a visionary guy. He's got so much faith. He's always looking ahead. I want you to know my wife is the one that has the gift of faith. I have the gift of worry. And maybe that's why we both go together. Now, I know the antidote. I preach it all the time. You want to have more faith, get in the Word. Faith comes by hearing. So that might be indicative of my time with God and Carol's time with God. I don't know. But I do know this. The answer is in intimate time with the Lord in His Word. And that's what they did at this particular time. And I like that story about Andrew because I kind of see myself in that as well. But here's the point. Whether we think the problem is so big we can't do it or we look at our resources, we have too little, we can't do it. The solution is still found in God. Here it is, Whom, with a capital W, that's going to be in the Lord. So let's look at our two life-challenging questions. Here's the first one. What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish?
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons. Founder of Make It Clear Ministries, Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.